Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me for today's news update is, of course, Eric from ES Invests. Uh, before we start jumping into today's topics, I'd like to take a quick moment to say thanks to our friends and sponsors at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And with those holidays over and our new affiliation with them, our 20% exclusive discount and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2 at manscaped.com is there for you to take advantage of. When it comes to institutional quality trading education, take a look at tradeprocademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all you degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to look into the custom tools and studies over at orderflowlabs.com. And of course, if you want to stay up to date on everything Eric is doing, he's got a YouTube channel, ES Invests. You can also follow him on Twitter. And lastly, be sure to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at tubals at financialineptitude.com, or you can just join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. And yes, the spelling is correct now. Nice. We'll have all those links in the episode description as well. And one final bit of news that I wanted to discuss or bring up here. This is not market news, but this is actually show news. Dan will be coming back to the show uh, starting Friday. So look for that weekend episode. We'll probably be discussing uh, what that's going to look like going forward. I think Dan is going to be starting some new projects too. So we'll get to discuss that. But I'll save that for when he's uh, when he's here. What about you, Eric? You got anything uh, new going on? Bought a car. I saw that you bought a Lambo. Did you really buy a Lambo or is that just a joke? I bought a McLaren, not a Lambo. No, a McLaren. Sorry. Yeah, I bought a McLaren 570S. Is that brand new or did you get used? No, it's used. It's a 2017. 2017. What's the resale value on those? How well do they hold their value? Uh, oh, they don't hold their value worth anything. Um, but <laughs> I, I think, I think this one went for like two ten new, and they're selling for like one sixty five now. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, it, for a supercar. Yeah, the the for me, like I hesitate with stuff like this because it's like the stereotypical like bullshit artist to have a nice car somewhere. Right. But. I am conflicted because I am genuinely an automotive enthusiast. Like I, you know, I've talked to you about the Corvette before that's built. Yeah. So for me, this is just a way to check out a new platform. I've never had a mid mid engine car. I'm really excited to check out just a very different style. It's it's paddle shifting automatic, which is completely new to me. So yeah, for me, it's a fun way to enjoy, you know, some, some, well, you problems, gotta, but, gotta treat yourself yeah. sometimes. Yeah, dude. And for me, it's also just an interesting, yeah, an interesting way to also create new content because one of my previous favorite things to do is a segment called car chats. 
and I would just throw my phone on like a, a mount in the car and I would drive around in the Corvette and I would drive around because I love, I really enjoy driving. And yeah. for me, there's, there's something very tranquil about driving and like processing thoughts. That's normally what I do when I drive is process thoughts. Hmm. And unless I'm driving like really aggressively, then there's no thought other than, you know, how good are these tires right now? Speed. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, so it'll be cool to to reboot that. I, I had to kill it because the the Corvette got too loud and I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do a cam swap on it or something? So, oh, dude! It, I mean, right now it's like a little over a thousand horsepower to the wheel, so it's just pretty much entirely oh, built at man. this point. Yeah, it's turned into Franken car. I mean, dude, I installed a lift in my garage to work on it just because it's been like I used to build cars as a kid, mm-hmm. and. I had like an attachment with the Corvette because one of the first cars I worked on was a white Corvette C C3. And anyways, so when I when I got this thing, I was just like, all right, man, time to get to work. And I just started working on it. I was like, wait a minute, like I can get a lift. I don't have to lay on the ground anymore. I'm I'm coochie. I'm coochie. <laughs> so, so I put a lift in. And yeah, so my my wife also got a little over going for drives in the car. She literally is just like, you know, I, I'm glad that you like the car, but I don't really like driving in it so much anymore because my ears yeah. hurt afterwards. And I was just like, that that's pleasure. You got to, you know, it's like ear pleasure. It's a little pain, but it's pleasure. Yeah. Um, it didn't it doesn't ring as true to her, I guess, as it does to me. So, yeah, I'm actually stoked to to try a new platform, have some fun. But, yeah, I, that's actually happening. It's coming from San Francisco. I saw the pictures. The thing looked pretty sweet. Yeah. And I also have to come come clean on at least the picture on Twitter. It's a stock photo because uh, okay. all, it's the same exact setup as mine. But mm-hmm. I, I used the stock photo because all the pictures of the car that I actually bought, they had the doors open and they have the dihedral doors that open, you know, like up. And I always feel like it's such a douchey thing. So I literally went for a stock photo. So I didn't have the dihedral door in the photo. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of back to the future huh i i actually really like them but i'm so sensitive to how douchebaggery like how much douchebaggery goes on with cars yeah. like this that i'm like hypersensitive to i was like i don't want to i don't want the photo of the fucking you know dihedral door next to it just it's too much <laughs> so i literally went and got a stock photo to avoid that all right well Six and a half minutes in talking about cars. I could do this for another hour. This, I was just gonna say this is my kind of I just I just interviewed you and Sinclair and we literally spent the first 20 minutes of the interview talking about cars. Oh, really? <laughs> he's another yeah, he's another car guy. But I mean, I think you have a bunch of really awesome news queued up. And I mean it's a big week. So yeah, I'm ready to pivot over to to hit on whatever you want. Well, I guess we should talk about uh what's coming up with the CPI tomorrow seen a lot yeah. of people throwing um predictions around like uh, wells fargo has uh made headlines with them suggesting that inflation is going to fall to 2.2 percent by the end of the year love that yeah um i surprisingly though they do actually have history on their side it looks like over the last eight economic cycles uh, as far back as like 69 70 the average decline in the pace of inflation has been about 70%, and they're predicting 76 on this cycle. It's interesting, and I, I think the only problem is applying historic norms to this is going to be very difficult. Uh, I was gonna say, it didn't look like they were predicting it because of uh, the way it has historically moved. I mean, I, I, 
made it look like this was what their analysts came up with. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I, I, all yeah. I was saying is I, I think it's difficult to use that as a bolstering aspect to the argument. Oh, yeah. No, that because, makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I just think everything is so unique right now. But I mean, t to their point, one of the things that I've been talking to people about is even though Big Daddy j Powell and the Fed earlier this week, they all came out saying, you know, we might be somewhere between five and five and a half percent for the target rate. And that you, they might think that, but the thing is, is the, the bond market is already starting to price in a cut. So the last time they had this l little bit of a standoff, it didn't necessarily work out to the way that the Fed thought it was going to go. So I actually think that, you know, I, bonds would be my true north because that takes obviously the collective intellect of the entire market ecosystem. Right. But, you know, who knows? They, they, the, the Fed, I think right now is just really, really prioritizing consistency in their messaging, which to their credit, they're doing a good job. Yep. Yep. You've, uh, they, we've been harping on that, I think, since uh, we started talking. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I, that I purposefully note it to their credit because I think it's, if we had to pick bad scenarios, this is the less bad scenario than the hyper reactive bouncing all over the place. Like you want to talk about market volatility, that would just be oh yeah. next level. But you know, in a, Doing night, a jumbo rate hike and then coming right back and cutting them exactly. like a month later. No, no, you can't do that. Yep, exactly. And I think one of the things is I I do question the just it's it's almost like hyper focus on these rate increases, but I'm hopeful that as new data comes out that they will do what they said originally, that they will remain, you know, sensitive to to the data and maybe that will be the case. Who knows? Let's go back to what you're saying about the bond market, because I did see a headline pop up that said that the bonds were pricing in a recession, but I'm um, not really sure. Uh, I don't really follow the bond market, so I can't really speak to what yeah. that even means. Yeah, I, I I would need the context on what they were looking at because bond bond prices really more often than not they're talking inversions, yield inversions, mm, which okay. we've we've seen some of that already in terms of pricing in or forecasting a recession. So that that could be the case. I, I don't know the exact reference material on this one, but the bond markets are just very telling in a lot of different ways because they inform us about how big money is flowing. Is what it comes. The, the mm -hmm. bond market's huge. They're, they're the largest market that we have. Right. And there's just so much capital that moves in and out. That's really what people use, um, at least in terms of the predictive capabilities of it. It's interesting. I never understood bonds. Like it made sense, you know, back in the '80s when you can get, you know, a decent return on them. But when when you're getting like half a percent, like we were like two, three years ago, like what's the point? I think people become, and even that comment, it's just a little short sighted because, like you said, right? You know, for it was that way for two years or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but in, in in the grand scheme of the markets and market volatility and overall returns, bonds continue, in my opinion, to to have their purpose. You know, to your point, they're not something that I actually care to use much myself, other than trading yields. But the other thing that people kind of sleep on with bonds because they can be kind of boring and slow, mm -hmm. but people forget how much leverage is in bonds, which is massive. Oh, so really? it's, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The, the leverage in bonds is massive. So huh. it's another reason, depending on the products, you know, that people are trading that they might choose to look, you know, at something like bonds for that exact reason. Oh, that's really interesting. And I was not aware of that. I guess maybe I'll have to do some more homework on that this week. 
Yeah, bonds are one of those things, again, like they, they get slept on pretty frequently because, you know, they're, they're bonds, man. Like they're not really that, there's not a lot of action in them, but that's right. one of the reasons why there's a lot of leverage in them is for that, that exact reason. So how does the bond market then price, or how does that indicate rate cuts coming? Like what, what exactly uh, are you seeing that shows that? We, we can look at the yields. So we can look at short-term yields against long-term oh, yields. That and that's really all there sense. is to it. So if we look at the six month, which is around like 4.8%, something like that. Mm-hmm. And a two year right now is like 4.2%. There's a cut mm-hmm. baked into that. Yeah. So that, that's really how we can kind of get the initial, you know, look at whether or not what, what's most probable here. No, that makes perfect sense. Man, some of this stuff makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Like, why is everything sure. so difficult? <laughs> it's, dude, I talk about that all the time. The, the financial markets want nothing more than to separate people from their money because they, they add all of these complexities unnecessarily. And to your point, sometimes somebody just needs something explained to them in a generally basic way. And then, you know, right, right here, right? Like it just clicked. Yeah. and yeah, for no, a lot of people that's sense. the case exactly yep but you're right we we purposefully make everything seem super complicated to make us sound cooler than we are other than a bunch of nerds that look at computers all day and, <laughs> and you gotta justify people, something right <laughs> dude yeah and, it, and it's to separate people from the money because if something is complex to understand then they're more likely to outsource that to a quote-unquote expert which fun mm-hmm. fact most of the experts fucking underperform the market so fuck them Mm-hmm. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Uh, okay, so now that you've explained bonds, then can you, uh, can you explain the economy? Dude, I wish I could. Who knows what's <laughs> going on here? Um, just, it's actually funny you say that because on a weekly basis when I'm making the the newsletter, I look at, you know, upcoming news so I can make that little graphic, right? You know, some, yeah. some of the things I'm looking at coming up. And some of the times as I'm looking things up, I'll just start going into the previous reports out of sheer curiosity. And the amount of just pure information that's out there on a weekly basis pertaining to all of these things, it continually reminds me how complex these systems are. And it's it's literally laughable to me on a daily basis when we see different news media outlets and I get why they do it. I'm not necessarily, you know, completely diming them out, but they're the propensity to just relegate incredibly complex systems into these two sentence synopsis. Oh, S and P's up because of this or down because of that. 
Right. And it's like sometimes there is a clear catalyst and that can be the case. Most of the time is so much more fucking complicated than that, but nobody wants to take the time to like parse it out. And really, I would argue it in doesn't most matter. Of, it's, it's impossible. <laughs> like there, you literally could, there's so many inputs. So yeah. The, how does the economy work? What is that information even going to do for you if you do figure out why it went up yesterday? Because what exactly. are the chances of those exact same conditions repeating again in your lifetime even? It, that's exactly it. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. I think, you know, when we talk about the economy and look and we look at the economy, we can definitely find higher efficacy metrics. It's my same approach to technical analysis. It's why I use certain things and not other things is because there's an observable higher efficacy ratio compared to, um, you know, some of the more... I guess you can call them nuanced technical tools. And it's mm -hmm. it's literally for that same reason, because we can get an idea of what's most likely, but yeah, to relegate extremely complex systems into like these very clean and neat one to two sentence headlines is just, it's laughable. Well, speaking of extremely complex uh, systems, uh, you mentioned before we started, uh, before I hit the record button about uh, oil's big, big uh, headline today. Yeah. And it's interesting because it goes beyond just oil. It goes to gasoline inventories mm -hmm. and then also distillate inventories. So what was, just, the, what was the headline? So EIA crude oil inventories, they were forecasted at negative 2 million and they came in at positive 18.96 million. Holy and then shit. EIA gasoline inventories were estimated at 0 0.75 million and they came in at 4.114 million. I saw and the gas one. Yep. And then distillate inventories, they, they were expected at negative 1.35 million and they came in at negative 1.07 million. So all of these came in, inventory is obviously building in a, in a pretty big way. I was, wonder. So do you have the two sentence sentence uh, or two sentence synopsis of why that's the case? <laughs> that's a, <laughs> it, it looks, yeah, I, I wish I did. It looks like there is a bit of a mix between imports exports is one of the, the primary things I'm looking at is some variance between those figures. Um, but other than that, I, there, there's gotta be some sort of bigger catalyst somewhere. I was going through the oil and gas journal earlier briefly and they just kind of reported the 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 numbers. I, I didn't get a chance to like truly understand like what's the deal here. Right. How much of it do you think is uh, Russian oil sneaking its way into the market? That's another really great question. Um, and really, really difficult to tell. Yeah, they don't really like stamp those like made in <laughs> made in. Uh, ah, God damn it! I was trying to think of a Russian province, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> made in well, Siberia. I mean. <laughs> The other thing is, you know, not to go like too deep state, but who's to say that Russia didn't export it to OPEC and then OPEC bottled it up? And, you know what I mean? Like, it's just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very, very tricky. Or any. Yeah. Any one of those other countries that don't really like us. I mean, India is buying gas from them or oil from them. Pretty sure they're on good terms with like Venezuela. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're making shit. I mean, they're making decent money. Yeah. All right. So what does that mean then? So, well, I guess the main question I had is like, how do you get off by that much? Like, how do you, how do you go from a 2 million draw to an 18 million barrel build? That's what makes me think that there's a, a pretty significant catalyst somewhere. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't know enough about it to discreetly say what it is, but to your point, 
I would view that as an outlier scenario. So my guess is there's a catalyst of some sort. I just don't know what. Or somebody who's putting the the estimates together missed a zero. Yeah, and I mean the the, the propensity for well that would be hilarious actually. That would, oh, it would be, be amazing. <laughs> that, would, that would be so funny. All right. Um, anything else on that? Do you have anything you want to say about CPI coming up? Uh, expectations or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really in the game of trying to guess where things are going to go. I, I do think it's interesting to postulate just because, you know, who who knows? And it, it's kind of interesting to see how things how things trend. For me, I definitely I'm trading volatility around the event in and of itself. So I don't I don't necessarily care too much what happens. I'm just essentially trading the mispricing of volatility in index ETFs or indices themselves specifically for this trade. But I mean, CPI year over year, it's expected to come in at six and a half percent. And I, I do think it's going to either come in at expectations or slightly below. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. And CPI month over month came in um, last month or the, the not last month, the, the previous, yeah, previous month, it was 0.1%. It was, I think the forecast for this one is negative 0.1%. So yeah. I, that that to me sounds about right. Like I, I I could see that happening. Be interesting to see what the the Fed has to say about that. I mean, because yeah, that's exactly and, what they've been wanting. If the you know things start coming down, maybe there is more likely they just kind of sit on their hands for a little bit and observe. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right. Well, last thing I know, your favorite guy, uh, SBF, um, been kind of keeping tabs on on that case as it's been going on uh i saw something else pop up on the headlines today that apparently they've uh, located more than five billion dollars in cash liquid assets how it, do you just find five billion dollars what do you mean man all they all they do is turn somebody upside down shake the coins out of their pockets and then there's a few billion right <laughs> I mean, and then this is just after they've uh filed for bankruptcy that's that's how this works that's so fucking weird. Absurd. Absolutely absurd. I mean, I, I, it just goes to show you how poorly managed this company was. I, I don't know if there's yeah. anything else you can really say about that, can you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that is exactly it. it right, I'm trying to see what the actual assets were. They don't really kind of specify that. They just say that they're well underway on plans to monetize over 300 other non-strategic investments with a book value over 4.6 billion. Oh, that's in addition to the what they found. Oh, Jesus. I guess I should have read this before we started talking about it. <laughs> that takes the fun away. <laughs> oh god. Okay, and then there's a poll at the end of this. So, uh <laughs> do you think the founder Sam Bankman-Fried will or will not ever return to the world of finance? I got to imagine he will try. I'm sure he'll try. The question is whether he's going to be allowed. Uh, uh, that's the poll I want to see. Yeah, because there's a good chance. I mean, I imagine something like that is, uh, yeah, I, I just, because it's also such a landmark case. It's so unique. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, I feel like they probably will go harder on him if I had to guess. I hope so. Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> Uh, the more you read into it, the more you see, the more you hear, the worse it gets. And it just keeps getting. I can't wait for the, the the documentary to come out on this or that book. I really hope that book tells all the dirty secrets. And the guy oh, that, the, uh, of, yeah, that dude. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The guy who wrote Michael Burry's book. 
I'm pretty he's, stoked yeah. on that too. He's been shadowing him for like six months before this thing happened, so he's got to have some really good stuff. Also makes you wonder too, like, well, it's SBF, like, will he even get anything out of that deal? Because uh, I'm pretty sure, like, when you like, didn't OJ Simpson get in trouble or not get be able to profit from the the book that he wrote called If I Did It, or was that a hoax? I don't know anything about that book. I don't think it ever actually came out. I think he tried to write it, tried to sell it, and then it didn't happen. Oh no, no, it's a real book. Yeah, I I haven't heard anything about that. Oh God, uh, you should read the wiki on that. It is fascinating. Uh, fuck, I think this actually did publish. Published in 2007. So the federal judge ruled that uh, Ron Goldman's dad could pursue the publishing rights to the book. Uh, in 07, a bankruptcy judge awarded the rights to the Goldman family, received most of the profits to help satisfy the $33.5 million wrongful death civil suit judgment. L-O-L. Yeah. Man, how fucking ballsy is that if I did it? Hypothetical uh, ways uh, that the... It sounds like somebody just tongue-in-cheek writing a confession right i'm not saying i did do it but if i did i would have taken the knife out of this kitchen drawer i would have made sure that i used my two small gloves just in case that ever came back up (laughs) Uh, we are really really going off the rails now i'm following your lead i'm being innocent here i know i'll probably have to trim this down quite a bit (laughs) all right uh anything else uh you want to leave the listeners with before we uh, sign off um no all right like share subscribe all that fun jazzy shit give uh, eric a follow and uh goodbye see ya Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.